to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation, so we can grow in our relationship with God. Tonight, we're going to continue in the book of Job, so if you have your Bibles, please open to Job chapter 29. As you're turning there, just a quick review. Um, last time we, we were uh, given a nice change of course, a refreshing change of course in the book, uh, in, the, in the study in the book of Job. Chapter 28 um, was just um, a nice refreshing look at godly wisdom. And, uh, you know, Job rightly declared that the wisdom that seems to elude most of us um, can only be found in God. And if we would only look there first, um, a lot of the doubt and a lot of the discouragement and a lot of the confusion that we, that we encounter in this life because of trials, that, that those things would be answered. So looking to God, looking to his his wisdom, which is found in his word, and also seeking his guidance and direction and his discernment uh, through prayer. And, you know, Job, it was a, it was a wonderful little, um, little change of direction in this book. Uh, this week, we're going to look at two chapters because they kind of go together. And the first one, chapter 29, uh, tells of Job's former life. Uh, his life before calamity, B.C., um, and how people uh, admired him, people respected him, uh, people would come to him for counsel and, and, and advice. And then in chapter 30, we're going to look at his life as he looks at it after the trial, um, after his calamity, and how he sees not only his own life, but how people view him differently. Um, they, a lot of people just see the circumstances that Job is going through. And when they look at that, they, they start to question. They question his wisdom. They question his integrity. And I think for us, isn't it sometimes what happens? Uh, maybe we look at people through the lens of their circumstances, or people look at us through, through what we're going through at the time. And we may judge people based on their current situation or their trial or their circumstances. If someone's doing well, we might you know, think that they were, they're blessed of God and, and they're reaping those benefits. And, and you know, they're probably very wise. And we would maybe go to them for, for advice or for counsel. But if someone's fallen on hard times, maybe we would start to question that. And I, I, don't, I think Job here, we see these two chapters as a contrast to one another. You know, the former life where he had, you know, all of these uh, people who w- would come to him. Um, he was greatly admired, greatly respected. And then after the trial, we see how people kind of um, relate to him differently. You know, we may not even know the reasons why people are going through difficulties. You know, why they found themselves in that, in that predicament. Uh, but our prejudices sometimes will cloud our view of people. These chapters will kind of help give us balance 
in how we look at others and, um, and how we can maybe empathize better with people, even if we don't know the details of what they're going through. And I think that's an important thing. You know, sometimes we, we prejudge or sometimes we would uh, make presumptions or assumptions about what somebody's situation is and why they're there. And I think um, what we really need to do is just minister is just find an opportunity to just minister in those things. Uh, Job also renews his defense here in, in a few of the verses, a few of the passages as we go through this. He cries out again for God to, for relief from his suffering. And chapters 29, 30, and 31 are really Job's closing arguments in his case um, against his friends and his case against God. Um, so a couple more chapters and then we start to see a new figure appear on the scene. So tonight we're going to take a look at 29 and 30. And they, they do go together, like I said before, because the blessings that he declares in chapter 29 have kind of counter griefs and counter complaints in chapter 30. And, um, and we're going to look at that. We're going to kind of compare the two. But jumping in in chapter 29, verses 1 through 6, it says, Job further continued his discourse and said, Oh, that I were in months past, as in the days when God watched over me, when his lamp shone upon my head, and when by his light I walked through darkness, just as I was in the days of my prime, when the friendly counsel of God was over my tent, when the Almighty was yet with me, when my children were around me, when my steps were bathed with cream, and the rock poured out rivers of oil for me. So in these verses here, Job is correctly recalling his past, the blessings that he had. There's no doubt um, that Job was a blessed man. He felt like God was watching over him and his family, and I believe that was true. He sensed God's presence. He sensed God's protection and his provision. And he went to God. He had that personal relationship. He went to God for counsel, and he always felt like God was on his side. And Job was, was remembering um, all of those blessings correctly. No question about it. He was definitely blessed with material wealth, right? He had a large family. He had respect among his peers. And he sensed God's hand upon him. And it was good for him to remember these things. I think it's good for us to remember those times when we really sense God. God's presence, his hand upon us, uh, maybe the good old days we might call them, but with a sense of balance, because I think it's easy for us to look back and kind of have a clouded view of our past memories, either thinking that we were way too blessed um, and maybe exaggerating the things that we had, or maybe we, maybe we had too many trials, Sometimes we don't have an accurate view of our past. And sometimes it depends on what we're going through in the present. That kind of gives us, that obscures those past memories, right? But it's important for us uh, not to focus too much either on the past glories or on the past trials that we maybe ignore 
the opportunities that God is putting right before us uh, on a day-to-day basis. Job continues um, in this chapter to reminisce about the relationships that he had with people in his life. He goes on in verses 7 through 17. When I went out to the gate by the city, when I took my seat in the open square, the young men saw me and hid, and the aged arose and stood. The princes refrained from talking, and they put their hand on their mouth. The voice of nobles was hushed, and their tongue stuck to the roof of their mouth. When the ear heard, then it blessed me. And when the eye saw, then it approved me, because I delivered the poor who cried out, the fatherless and the one who had no helper. The blessing of a perishing man came upon me, and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. I put on righteousness, and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. I was eyes to the blind, and I was feet to the lame. I was a father to the poor. And I searched out the case that I did not know. I broke the fangs of the wicked and plucked the victim from from his teeth. So Job is, is listing here all of the different things that he was able to do through his influence in the community. He recalls the times when he had a ministry to people. When people um, would, when even the, you know, the noble would kind of, would be quiet because Job is here. Job is going to give us some wisdom. Job has something important to say, right? The gates of the city was that kind of that public square, right? Where people would go, they would gather, they would discuss current events. They would, uh, often they would seek counsel or give counsel to one another, and it was that, that, you know, that environment that he was in that people, uh, he was a man of influence. People would come to him. He received respect from people. Young and old, noble and common men, rich and poor, didn't matter. They saw something in Job that was attractive to them in many different ways. But he wasn't only highly respected, he was, he was well-liked. Job was well-liked. I mean, why wouldn't he be? He helped the oppressed, right? He was kind and compassionate to the downtrodden. Whether there was a person in poverty or there was a widow or the orphan, he sought out those who were hurting, and he desired to help them. That's somebody that, that we all would like. That's somebody that, would all, that we all would want to know and, and become acquainted with. You know, that's just, a, that's just a person who you know just has a heart for others. And that's very, very attractive. You know, no wonder God said of Job in Job chapter th- 2, uh, verse 3, when he was having this conversation, right, in heaven with, with Satan about Job, the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on earth? That's quite a thing for God to say, right? A blameless and upright man, who, one who fears God and shuns evil, evil, and still he holds fast to his integrity. Although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. I mean, remember that, that uh, scene in heaven as, as God and Satan are kind of discussing this and 
And Satan, you know, says, you know, he won't hold fast to his integrity. You take away all that he has, God, and he's going to curse you. And yet Job never did. Job never did. He did hold fast. I think we can all take a lesson from Job's life. You know, uh, uh, you know, just all the things that he was able to accomplish um, in his sphere of influence, his care for others, right? And the fact that he was just he was just a blessing to those in need. But Job also recognized evil. He he had a he had a, an accurate view of this world, knowing that there are good and there are evil in this world. He recognized evil. It says here. In these verses, um, I broke the fangs of the wicked and plucked the victim from his teeth. He saw that people were sometimes uh, caught up in the deceptions of wicked people. Some people might have fallen upon hard times due to circumstances or maybe even due to their own mistakes. That It just happens. That's the way life is. But others are preyed upon, right, by wicked people who are only looking out for themselves. And I think of these scam phone calls that we get constantly, every day, more and more and more. I had one, somebody very official sounding, left a message on my voicemail saying that he was from the IRS, but... You know, uh, and I needed to contact them right away. You know, it's just, it's just these kind of people that Job recognized were, were in the world and that some people were caught up in that. And his desire was to rescue them, to, was to expose the evil people and then to rescue the ones who were caught up. And he was sensitive to that. You know, he had a really, he had a heart. For others, and he desired to help them. You know, I think that's another lesson from this. From as he looks back and kind of reminisces and and uh, about that kind of his former life. You know, uh, we should have a heart towards people, especially those who are being oppressed, those who are maybe being deceived, and it could be a financial trap that people got caught up in, or it could be a spiritual deception, that someone is, um, is being deceived by someone and taking them away from God instead of toward God. You know, for those of us who know the Bible and know the truth about, about God and the scriptures, we can be kind of that watch, watchman for those people. And when we see someone being deceived or taken down, that we could, you know, we could bring it to their attention. We could help them out. Next couple of verses here in verses 18 through 20, Job recalls his confidence in the future. He says in verses, verse 18, Then I said, I shall die in my nest and multiply my days as the sand. My root is spread out to the waters, and the dew lies all night on my branch. My glory is fresh within me, and my bow is renewed in my hand. So again, he looks back, right, at his, at his former life, at his pre-calamity life, and he recalls how he had such joy in the hope of the future. You know, sometimes we can look back and we can say, yeah, I mean, I had 
all of this, this hope for a future and, um, and how joyful that, that makes people. Before his trial, right, he had a great hope for a long and prosperous life, right? Because he had seen how God had blessed him. But it wasn't only monetarily. It was the blessings of family, the blessings of friends, good health, right? All of these things, all the things that we count as important in our lives. You know, he had, he, he was blessed by those things. And he was able to share his life with the people that he loved and that loved him. And he looks back and he says, I was just blessed. I was just blessed. I, I, I can die peacefully, you know, and I'll have a lo- but I'll live a long life. My root is spread out to the waters. In other words, I'm well established where I'm at. God has established me. And then he says, my bow is renewed in my hand. You know, thinking of, you know, probably that, uh, you know, a large family, right? Of, uh, of, of children and grandchildren and just, you know, that, that, uh, that, that large family just to enjoy life with. It was good for Job to recall those things. It was good for him to remember about his prior confident outlook on the future. It's good for us too, you know, because maybe, maybe right now things aren't going so well for some of us, right? But we can look back and we can say, well, we had a hope and God promises, right? A hope for those who believe, for those who are submitted to him, right? And it helps us get through the difficult times, doesn't it? When things kind of get derailed, Things don't go according to our plan. Um, And it's always good to remember God's faithfulness because that can get us through. Um, My daily devotions this week, um, I, I read, it's talking about God's promises and his faithfulness to... Um, to perform those things that he's promised. You know, and that's important for us to remember that God has promised certain things and that he's never going to go back on his word. Uh, yesterday's devotion was based on Romans 4.16, where it says, Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed. And then it goes on and says, The Lord desires that we should have great certainty concerning his promises. Our God does not want us to be plagued with apprehension concerning the fulfillment of his promises. In all that God has promised, he intends for us to stand in bedrock assurance that the promise might be sure to all the seed. Now, we are that seed that Paul is talking about here. The spiritual offspring of Abraham Right, those promises that were made, and that God can be trusted to follow through on His promises. It's important for us to remember that. To maybe look back when we when we had that view of our future, and we had a, a, a more steadfast faith, because maybe we're wavering right now. Maybe there's some things that are going on in our lives that are causing us to waver. But we look back and we say, no, we, we believe. We trust. 
And God, Job expressed that. He expressed that certainty. And he recalled the assurance that he had in God to do all that he has promised. That's what gets us through the difficult times. Remembering the faithfulness of God. Never forgetting that. And then in verses 21 through 25, Job, again, he's looking back and he's kind of rejoicing over his standing in the community. And he goes on and says, Men listened to me and waited and kept silence for my counsel. After my words, they did not speak again, and my speech settled on them as dew. They waited for me as for the rain, and they opened their mouths wide for the spring rain. If I mocked, if I mocked at them, they did not believe it. And the light of my countenance they did not cast down. I chose the way for them and sat as chief. So I dwelt as a king in the army, army as one who comforts mourners. Now, knowing Job's character, this is not a prideful guy just saying, this is my resume. This is all I, I mean, I'm just great. This is not what Job was doing. It was more of a humility that people would, it was almost like he's saying, I, I can't believe that people came to me, listened to me. They waited for me. Imagine that after my words, they did not speak again. My speech settled on them as due. So in other words, like, I don't know what to do, Job, in this situation. I don't know where to turn. And he had these words of wisdom that would just settle it. That's, that's, that's reassuring. When you seek counsel and somebody just says something very wise to you, and you know, and you have nothing else to say, you just know it's settled. That's, that's just, that's comfort. That's peace. And Job was able to offer that to people. But not, again, it's not in a prideful way that he's kind of bragging about this. People recognized his wisdom. They sought his counsel. And it was out of an overflowing desire to bless others. Remember, his motives were always pure. And he wanted to share God's truth. He had a relationship with the Lord that he was able to share with others. When, when they were going through difficult times. And people kept returning and coming back to him to hear more what he had to say. It reminds me of, of Solomon, right? The wisdom of Solomon. In 1 Kings 4, this account, and it speaks of Solomon's life and, and his influence um, in, in the nation. And it says, and God gave Solomon, in, in 1 Kings 4, 29 through 34, and God gave Solomon wisdom and exceedingly great understanding and largeness of heart like the sand on the seashore. So it wasn't just that he knew a lot, but he cared a lot. That's great. It's, it's nice to know when people have the knowledge and the wisdom and to impart to you, but it's also really, really, really reassuring to know that they really care. That's more, more important. Thus Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the men of the East and all the wisdom of Egypt, for he was wiser than all men, than Ethan the Ezrahite, than Heman and Chiacol and Darda the sons of Mahal, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. That's without social media. That's pretty good. His name got out there. He spoke 3,000 products. That was a joke. 
He spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. And he spoke of trees from the cedar tree of Lebanon, even to the hyssop that sprang out of the well, the wall. And he spoke also of animals, of birds. He, he was a scientist, of creeping things and of fish, and men of all nations from all the kings of the earth who had heard his wisdom came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. When someone is... is tapped into godly wisdom, people want to hear it. People will seek it out. Now, we, you may not hear people admit that, especially in the culture and society that we live in, but they are searching for true wisdom. And I think we're starting to see maybe people start to doubt what they're hearing from the supposed wise people that are, are most of the, uh, the spokesmen uh, because we, we hear the things change all the time. No consistency in the message, right? And so I think people are starting to doubt that. But here you, you have the wisdom from God to impart to others. People are going to want, want that. Maybe not everyone will listen, but you'll gain the attention of a lot of people who, if they really are sincerely seeking after God, they'll want to hear you. And so we can faithfully share the gospel. Some will believe, some will hear us, some won't. But we will have that reputation of, of um, imparting the wisdom of God to others. So that was a real uplifting chapter. Kind of looked back at, at Job's life and saw that he just had this awesome outlook on things. Chapter 30 is a little different. Chapter 30, it, he kind of changes course. And now he's going to reflect, instead of on his past, he's going to reflect on his current suffering. And again, we, we, we need to address the things that are going on in our lives in the moment, but we cannot be overwhelmed by them because there are so many things that God has done through our lives that we can look back and be encouraged through. So this is a good thing in that, in that he has a proper view of what he's going through. He understands that this is, this is not right, that what he's dealing with, his physical sufferings and his financial loss and everything that he's been dealing with. He's got, a, he's got an accurate view of what he's going through. And he remembered the past, but he was also honest about his current situation. So I think there's a little bit of a balance here. He also realized that although he was going through a difficult time and... Uh, maybe he realized that he would get through it. Right now, there were actually some people that are making that were making it worse for him instead of better. And so we're going to compare kind of the mindset of chapter 30 with some of the things that he mentions in chapter 29. So we're going to take a big chunk here of, uh, of chapter 30, verses 1 through 15, and we'll talk about them. And he says... But now they mock at me, men younger than I, whose fathers I disdained to put, to put with the dogs of my flock. Indeed, what profit is the strength of their hands to me? Their vigor has perished. They are gaunt from want and famine, fleeing late into the wilderness, 
desolate and waste, who pluck mallow from the bushes and broom tree roots for their food. They were driven out from among men. They shouted at them as a thief. They had to live in the clefts of the valleys, in caves of the earth and in the rocks, among the bushes they braid, under the nettles they nestled. They were sons of fools, yes, sons of vile men. They were scourged from the land, and now I am their taunting song. Yes, I am their byword. They abhor me. They keep far from me. They do not hesitate to spit in my face. Because he has loosed my bowstring and afflicted me. They have cast off restraint before me. At my right hand, the rabble arises. They push away my feet. They raise and they raise against me their ways of destruction. They break up my path. They promote my calamity. They have no helper. They come as broad breakers. Under the ruinous storm, they roll along. Terrors are turned upon me. They pursue my honor as the wind, and my prosperity has passed like a cloud. Wow. Job is feeling it from others, the ones that used to honor him and respect him and come to him, have now turned on him. See, they're looking at his circumstances and they're looking on him with disdain. And they're saying, and they're saying, we want nothing to do. They're, they're, they're doing worse than that. They're saying they want nothing to do with Job, but they're spitting in his face. They're telling lies about him. They want nothing to do with him. They push away my feet, he says. Um, they promote my calamity. They're making my situation worse. So what a turn, right, from 29 to 30. So, but, but we can see this kind of this contrast of this chapter with, with some of the uh, joys that were expressed in the previous chapter. Those who once respected and admired him for his integrity and wisdom now mocked him. But Job understood that those who are mocking him couldn't be compared to him in terms of integrity. And uprightness. And again, I don't believe he was doing this in a prideful way, but he was saying that those that came against him were looking at his circumstances and they were judging him. And they were also seeing that at this point in his life that he had nothing to offer them. See, their motives were self centered, their motives were to tear down. Because if they could tear down this, this, once great man, they would be seen as greater. It would kind of lift them up. Don't you find people do that sometimes? They want to tear down the, the, you know, the upright and the, and the righteous so that they look better. And that's what exactly was going on here. He says in verse 11, because he has loosed my bowstring and afflicted me, they have cast off restraint before me. See, they, they recognized here that, that something's changed with his relationship with God. God has seemingly loosed his hand from Job, right? Took his hands of protection, took his hands of provision off of Job. He wasn't as prosperous or influential as he once was. So those who 
previously desired his company now had no vested interest in continuing the relationship. There was nothing that they could get out of him. And it's a shame, right, when we see sometimes that people only want your friendship because uh, maybe there's a benefit that they can get from it. And I, I do, I do want to say that I see sometimes that with God also. That people will take the blessings from God, but as soon as trials come, right, they turn away. They turn away from God. You know, in, in earlier in the book, remember Job expressed this idea when his wife gave him the bad advice, right, to curse God and die. And he says in uh, chapter 2, verse 10, But Job said to her, he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God? And shall we not accept adversity? It's a good question. Should we accept only God's blessings and not the adversity that he allows? Remember, everything that happens in our lives is filtered through God, uh, God's uh, um, providence. And so that there's a reason for it. And in all this, Job did not sin with his lips, which is the most important thing of that. But no, we shouldn't just accept the good from God. We should accept everything that God gives us. Remember, our view of good sometimes is different than God's view of good. You know, we have a, a very self, uh, self-absorbed, self-centered kind of view of good. If it, if, if it affects us negatively in any way, we don't want anything to do with it. We think that it's bad. But it could be that you know, God is using that. Most of the people in Job's life were turning away from him now because of his circumstances. As Christians... We can't be that way with people. I mean, Jesus didn't turn anybody away. I mean, except for the, you know, the f- false religious leaders, the hypocrites, who pretended that they were representing God but weren't. But it didn't matter if somebody was poor or downtrodden or a sinner. Jesus would minister to their needs. We need to be that the same way. We need to understand that we all go through ups and downs in this life, don't we? None of us are immune to that. And we need to stick by people, especially in the dark times of their lives. That's when really the rubber hits the road. That's when people really know whether you're a true friend. Are you sticking with them when they're going through a difficult time and they can't offer you anything? It's, it's important to remember that. So Job complains now in these next few verses about his present suffering in contrast, again, to the blessings that he describes in the previous chapter. So in verses 16 through 23, it says, And now my soul is poured out because of my plight. The days of affliction take hold of me. My bones are pierced in me at night, and my gnawing pains take no rest. By great force, my garment is disfigured. It binds me about as the collar of my coat. He has cast me into the mire, and I have become like dust and ashes. I cry out to you, but you do not answer me. I stand up, and you regard me, but you have become cruel to me. With the strength of your hand, you oppose me. You lift me up to the wind and cause me to ride on it. You spoil my success." For I know that you will bring me to death and to the house 
appointed for all living. So we've seen this in Job before. This is not anything new. We've seen kind of this despair and this complaining against, against God. And he, he's protesting here. He, he's protesting against God about his current situation. And not only the physical that he was going through, but I think we can kind of sense a mental anguish in the, in the words of these verses, right? But, he, but this complaint here, remember, contrasts those blessings he just spoke about in the previous chapter. Remember in Job 29, 4 through 6, he said, Just as I was in the days of my prime, when the friendly counsel of God was over my tent, when the Almighty was yet with me, when my children were around me, when my steps were bathed with cream, and the rock poured out rivers of oil for me. Now he says that God is against him, right? You've, you've, you've spoiled my success, he says in verse 22. You will bring me to death. So we see this shift. And again, you know, somewhere in the middle, I think, is where we need to be. Not, on, not to one extreme or the other. And we don't know how much time passed, right, between tw- chapter 29 and chapter 30. I mean, it could have been, it could have been weeks. could have been months. could have been days. Uh, I doubt it was hours because usually we don't have that quick of a shift in our mental state but but never ever forget those good things never ever forget God's faithfulness because it's going to help get you through those rough times Um, chapter um, chapter 30 verses 24 and 25 we continue on and he says surely he would not stretch out his hand against a heap of ruins if they cry out when he destroys it have I not wept for him who was in trouble has not my soul grieved for the poor? So Job lived his life to help others. And now he, he's in need. There's no one there for him. Isn't that a shame? I mean, he really did. He lived his life to help others, to be a blessing to others. And now he was in need and there was nobody there. And I believe that that's also the mission of the church of the body of Christ, to serve others, right? To glorify God out of concern and love for those in need. And then again in, verse 20, in chapter 29, he says, because I delivered the poor who cried out, the fatherless and the one who had no helper, the blessing of a perishing man came upon me and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. That's what his, that's what his life was all about. And his motivation for helping others was not that he could receive help when he needed it, but it is nice to know that when we're in trouble, that especially maybe the people that we helped in the past might be um, willing to come to our aid, our assistance. And Jesus gives us the right perspective on this. You know, that our motivation needs to be pure, needs to be to glorify God. In Luke uh, chapter 14, Jesus says, Then he said to him who invited him, When you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind. And you will be blessed 
because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. See, our, uh, our repayment of our goodness, of our good deeds, um, doesn't necessarily happen in this life. Doesn't necessarily happen here. Some people may not appreciate what we do. You may not receive those blessings. You may not receive repayment back from people. Well, you helped me and I'll help you. It may not happen, but God notices. God recognizes that. He knows your heart. He knows your motives. So our motivation for helping others is love and compassion, right, and empathy. And then hopefully, when we're in need, we'll receive, we'll receive help too. But, you know, God knows. So uh, continuing here in Job chapter 30, uh, 26 through 28, it says, But when I looked for good, evil came to me. Again, this is his complaint chapter. And when I waited for light, then came darkness. My heart is in turmoil, and I cannot rest. Days of affliction confront me. I go about mourning, but not in the sun. I stand up in the assembly and cry out for help. So, again, he's now despairing uh, about his future instead of remembering the hope that he had in the past. Right? He said in, in chapter 29, Then I shall die in my nest and multiply my days as the sand. That was his attitude, his mental state then. He looked forward to a long and long life and a, and a peaceful death. But now he sees only trouble. You know, a miserable existence where in the past he had hoped um, for something better. So I think as we see these contrasts, you know, right, it's important that we understand human nature in all of this. Kind of, uh, you know, the, the uh, importance of, uh, you know, our health physically, mentally, spiritually, and that we have a balanced view of our life, of our circumstances, in, li- in light of what we know, in light of what we've experienced, in light of what we don't know in the future. Again, that, that, that trust that God has everything figured out and that he has the best for us. So, um, you know, we see here Job in this chapter kind of forgetting those things, forgetting those things, forgetting the things that he stated in the previous chapter. Um, his last complaint here in verses 29 through 31 is that he no longer has a ministry to others. I think, again, we kind of see a little bit of his heart in this. He says, Now I am, a brother, I, am, I am a brother of jackals and a companion of ostriches. My skin grows black and falls from me. My bones burn with fever. My harp is turning to mourning, is turned to mourning, and my flute to the voice of those who weep. So the, he had previous joy in ministering to people, Right? And then when this calamity struck, you know, he was in such physical pain. And he, was, and he had this, this skin ailment that probably made him kind of grotesque to look at and to be around. And no one wanted to really be around. And, you know, he's saying, my only companions are the beasts of, of, uh, of the nature. You know, I, I, no longer do people want to even come to me because of what I'm going through. And... There was no more hope for him to bring ministry or or compassion or comfort 
to others. And that was really, that was really his biggest complaint, I think, that he missed out now on that, that he no longer is able to minister to someone's needs. And in, in chapter 29, remember, he said, men listened to me and waited. They kept silent for my counsel. And now he has no one that seeks his counsel. He was in need, right? And there was no one to f- comfort him. He constantly would, would counsel with others, give, give, uh, give comfort and consolation to those who were going through difficulties, be there for the downtrodden, and now there was no one there for him. I think there's an important lesson here for us, too. And I'm going to take an opportunity to tell you that as pastors who minister to the the needs of others, we covet your prayers. You know, we covet your prayers. You know, believe it or not, we go through tough times, too. We go through difficult times. We go through trials. And, you know, our, our desire, and I know, I know a lot of you feel the same way. Your desire, desire is to help others, is to minister to others, right? But as you're doing that or, or in, in your time of need, it's nice when someone comes around you. It's nice to know that if you have a, a problem, if you have a difficulty, if you're going through a physical trial, that people are praying for you. You know, that's why I think it's important that we look at the prayer list and see, you know, how, how people are doing and, that, and to lift them up. It really, really makes a difference. We covet your prayers as pastors and elders. For those who are here for the, you know, for the uh, spiritual health of the body of Christ, those who minister to the needs of the body, sometimes we need to be ministered to. Also, so please don't forget to pray for us. No one is immune to suffering in this life. It just, it's, you know, we all know that, right? We minister to others as we've been ministered to, right? God brings people in our lives that we can comfort so that maybe we'll be comforted at a future time when we're, we're in need. But in order to do that the best, I think we need to remember God's faithfulness. Remember God's blessings, right? Because we've all had times of blessing. We've all had times when we recognize God, God's hand upon us. And we're just blessed by that. And, that. and remember, that carries us through. It gets us through the trials. It gets us through the present time that we might be in right now. When we look back and we recognize God's faithful hand. Amen. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. And Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org.
Thanks for listening. And may God bless.